Kronkenschwester. Kronkenschwester. Broke sister. Broke sister. <laughs> nice. Her sick sister. I went to the sick sister. Du bist ein Kronkenschwester. Hey, Maniacs! Hey, Maniacs. Welcome to Midsummer Maniacs, the podcast all about Midsummer murders. And this week's episode is Blue Herrings. It's kind of like a hug from Grandma. It is. It's season three, episode two of Midsummer Murders, and it is episode 11 of this podcast. And if you let your kids watch the episode, how could you not let your kids watch this episode? It's like a hug from Granny. If they're... Scared of old people, they might not like I it. I guess not, but <laughs> if they watch the episode, they can listen to the podcast, and if the show is too much for them, maybe it's too much blue light. It keeps them up at night. Too much blue hair. Blue, blue hair and blue light. They can't listen to the... They shouldn't listen to the podcast. Uh, this was filmed in June and July 1999, which is probably why all the flowers are in bloom, and broadcast on the 22nd of January, year 2000. We have entered the new millennium. Thoughts. Thoughts. Uh, 8.8 million viewers this week uh, for that episode because it wasn't shown on New Year's Eve. Yeah, that's a good time. Yeah, it's a good time to air it. And (laughs) directed by Peter Smith and written by Hugh Whitmore. It's a good episode. It is the gentlest midsummer episode ever. And it see, it feels strange to say that this is a really good episode of Midsummer Murders where there's no murder. Well, there's a murder. There's a murder. But it's the gentlest, best meaning murder. And it's <laughs> it's a palate cleanser before the batshit crazy of the next episode. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It starts off with the cold open at Lawnside Private Residential Nursing Home for the Elderly. Don't you think they should have an asphalt road leading to Lawnside and not a gravel <laughs> Pit I think so. I think they should make it as safe as possible, but clearly there are some problems with that in this episode. Do we ever see lawn? The, we do. We see the lawn side sign in the daylight one or two times, but we see it far more in the dark by headlights. Yeah, and I, if I'm the doctor, you know, and I'm right, driving my Austin Martin. I don't want gravel picking up on it. I don't want to drive it on a gravel road. Like he basically licked the back of it. Yeah. So. <laughs> Lots of parking out front. We, we start s- out the evening scene inside Lawnside, yeah? Yes. Yeah, the typical evening at Lawnside. And somebody's looking at some books, and they're real books. The first book is Faked Passwords by Dennis Wheatley. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a real book. It's part of the Gregory Salquist series, yep. book three, 1966. And the second book is The Beckoning Lady by Marjorie Allingham. And this is awesome because I didn't know it's a campion book. Yep. And it's a which later is, which campion book. Which is a great book. show. If you've never seen Campion, it's got Peter Davidson in it. And Lug, who is played by the guy. I always forget his name. Always forget his name. <laughs> but he's, he's the in, one he's the one who tells the the joke in the pub in Werewolf of London. It's yep. the same actor. Yep. Um but it's really fun. If you've never seen Campion, check it out. Where, where do we get? Is that on Netflix or? No, Campion is on BritBox yeah. for us. And we actually, uh, I think there's two seasons yeah. of it. It's and, super good. Uh, the only problem, and this is Greenland territory, is whoever did the ADR for that show really messed up. 
And Several ADR di- is additional dialogue recording. Ah, uh, so there's voiceover stuff to fill in for bad recording. Yeah, like um, they walk behind a hedge and you lose sight of the actors and they say clearly different things than they were saying yeah. on the recording. But still, it's really fun. Anyway, yep. that's Marjorie Allingham Campion. The books are good too, but they show their age. Some people are writing letters. Some people are playing Scrabble. It's a common room. Mm-hmm. Imagine is playing Scrabble, but she cheats. Well, she can't spell. Well, yes. I she don't know that some... she's a cheater. And the woman she's playing with, she says, you're the most unpleasant woman I've ever met. When she calls her out on cheating. And I'm like, if she's the most unpleasant person you've ever met, why are you playing Scrabble with her? Well, and you've had a pretty good life. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I've met more unpleasant people than her in a day, you know. Um, somebody drives up, and while everybody sort of drifts off to bed, Arthur tut-tuts and cleans up everybody. Yeah. Poor he, Arthur has the OCD real bad. Arthur likes to have things straight and tidy. He does. Neat and tidy. Alice is in bed reading her campion. Now, Alice is Alice Bly, who is Tom's aunt. Mm-hmm. And Tom is her favorite nephew. Now, as far as I can tell, Tom is her only nephew. But there may be other nephews. Yeah, so we talked about this. So Tom and John mm-hmm. are cousins. On his father's on side. On their paternal side, or they wouldn't have the same last name. Yep. So Alice is Tom's mother's sister. And there's a reference to Tom's mother. There's a couple of references yeah. to Tom's mother. But there mother. could be other siblings. They might have had other siblings. They might There might be other nieces and nephews. There but, could be, but I don't think they're mentioned in the series. They're not mentioned, um, but I don't think she's saying that facetiously as if he's my favorite because he's my only. No, no. I think she means it. Yeah, I do too. So Alice has one of those clocks they, there's it's a travel, travel clock. clock. That, yeah. that's a, it's like a granny clock. I remember my granny having one. Yeah. it fold, it's, it's like a compact almost. It folds out and then props open with the clock face. Yep. Somebody enters a door and then we see George. Now, George is the nickname for a character who is a woman. Mm-hmm. And George has her bag, but she's in her nightgown. So George is a little not there. She thinks she's going to church. She she's does. confused. She's played by Mary Wimbush, who is also Aunt Agatha in Jeeves and Wooster. That's right. That's another show. Yeah. Jeeves, Jeeves and, Wooster. and Wooster is Great. fantastic. Great. Hugh Laurie, Stephen Fry. But Aunt Agatha, whoo, she's a battle axe. Yes, she and is. George plays her very well with that pursed lips and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Judgy, judgy on, on Wooster all the time. So George goes to take the elevator down to go to church because she's not, she's just not thinking right. That's okay. And she finds Muriel Harrop in the elevator dead and then proceeds to make the worst noise ever. Oh, it's a uulation is the only way to describe it. <laughs> a what? It's almost like a Tarzan thing. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's. And it's it's haunting. If you if you listen, you can hear it. Still, to yes, this day. to this day. Muriel Muriel Harrop. Yep. Played another Muriel. She was Aunt Muriel Weasley in the Deathly Hollows too. Oh, so another. Uh, um, Maybe she can only play Muriels. Her. I would love to say her name. Her last name is Gibbs. Okay. And her first name is M A T Y E L O K. Matlock. Matlock. Hmm. Madelock Gibbs. I've never heard that name before. She plays two Muriels. Everyone wakes up because of this, except... Well, yeah, because George is... And we see somebody taken off. Later. we We have the dramatic slow motion image 
of George's bag falling to the ground. It's, it's upsetting. Boom. <laughs> William, or for his intimates, Willie. Smithers. Uh, says that George didn't want to be late for church, wasn't thinking right, and talks to Alice and says, if we survive the night... Kind of, he's kind of a joker. Smithers is a good guy. I think he's a good guy. He's a comforting guy, and he doesn't judge George for being confused. She's obviously got a little senility going on, but that's okay. And it's Mungo Mortimer who's running away. Yes, and who who we'll see more of. Yes. So the Undertakers arrive in the morning, and I have to say, like at a at a retirement home like this, this has to be a big event. They're kind of like a people trapped in a house in like a big brother situation. Yeah, and they get voted off the yeah. island every this once is in more, a while. This is very exciting to watch, right? It's sad, but yeah, it's probably the most exciting thing that happens. And Alice and George are talking and they... George says, uh, well, Alice says, they say Muriel died of a heart attack and George says, I wouldn't be so sure she didn't have any heart conditions. It's rubbish. Yeah, she's very suspicious. We're off to the new house. The Barnaby's new Barnaby moved. house. And it's not above a butcher shop. No, it's not. It's actually quite a nice little house. But boy, is it yellow. Wow. Every yellow and curves. Yellow. <laughs> like yellow McYellystone. And Tom's going to have to paint all that yellow. Luckily, Troy brought a cactus. <laughs> the ugliest cactus in the world. It's a housewarming gift. And Cully and Joyce are very nice about it. Yes. And it's nice of him to bring it. It is. So this whole episode, Tom is off work. Again, because the last episode, he was in France off work. At the beginning. Does he work? Yeah. I don't know. The man deserves a break. Uh, and he, he never gets he's one. He's European, so he gets 8 million days of holidays a hey, year. I so. get six weeks a year. I'm not going to complain. Okay. Um, but in the previous episode, when he's in, in France with Joyce and Kelly, we can assume that he actually has the remainder of his holiday and enjoys it and then comes home when he's scheduled to. Yep. It's not interrupted. He just has a conversation with yes. what's his face, the guy. Um, but this time, he's supposed to be off to paint the house and count curtain hooks. And that is completely upturned. But you know who else is here? The woman who moved to London and never goes there. Cully. <laughs> She's going to keep him organized. And Tom's going to get more paint and go see Auntie Alice. Yes, because she's staying there after being ill for a little while. I guess so. she was hospitalized, and instead of sending her straight home, they thought she should go. Just to convalesce, just for a couple of weeks. Yeah, she should go to long Well, I don't know. Like, maybe the doctor should talk to her about how fast she reads freaking books, because she's <laughs> on to another book already. What else does she have to do? Uh, I don't <laughs> know. There's so many hours in the day that aren't covered. She reads. Dr. Warnford drives up in his fancy car. It's an Austin Martin. It's a baby blue Austin Martin. They can't have made many of those. Aston Martin. Aston. Austin. Yeah. Aston Martin. Yeah, and that's a pretty fancy-dancy car. It is indeed. Um, Smithers says he's a creep. Dr. Clive Warnford is played by Clive Wood. Oh, okay. But he's also in two other Midsummers. He's okay. in Secrets and Spies in 09 and Wild Harvest in 2014. That's right. In Secrets and Spies, he plays the guy who shows up and is all like, I'm the new kid in town and you guys should all bow down to me. Right. And then in Wild Harvest, that's the one with the um, two organic restaurants. Oh, yes. And yes, he, yeah, yeah, he's in that one too. And, you know, he 
plays this kind of character. So, of course, he's probably the nicest human being on the planet. I'm sure he is. But because he has kind of like, well, he's he's got gingery hair, so he can look kind of angry when he wants to because he's got that kind of red complexion and kind of deep, deep grooves in his face. He looks like, you know, maybe he was a boxer or something tough, you know, before. And so he's got that kind of countenance. I think he can pull it off pretty well. Tom stops to buy some flowers. Mm -hmm. The woman at the flower stand says, wow, there's lots of funerals out there at the home. And she's like, (laughs) don't. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. And then we never see her again. Except, and I, maybe it was just kind of a lurk on the, I don't know. Um, The florist, who's not named in the episode, she's played by an actress named Carolyn John. Well, she's named Florist. Florist. Yes. Florist the florist. Yes. (laughs) She's um, played by Carolyn John, who was the companion to the third doctor. Oh. John Pertwee. So just a, a little... Pop in as the doctor's... Yeah, and Liz Shaw was her character's name in Doctor Who. And not only was she his companion for a year, but then she comes back for like the next 25 years occasionally because she's like this um, kind of like rebellion military front leader. Oh, cool. So she's a recurring character. She's almost like Sarah Jane. Oh, that's cool. And here she is just playing Florist the Florist. (laughs) She needed something to do. Yeah. Willie wants some food. He wants a cook. What does he want? He wants some toast and an egg, I think. Yeah, so let's talk about this, okay? We we both have surviving parents who are old. Yep. Over 70. Yes. My my parents, as they got older, seemed to get up earlier. Yes. Breakfast ends at the retirement home at 9.30. Yes. But Smithers has overslept and missed it. He's up late at night. I guess so. Well, you know, he maybe, maybe he's reading. Or going through other people's things. <laughs> Maybe he's looking for for valuables all night. He's a cat burglar. Maybe. But I'll tell you, Willie doesn't care about the rules. No. And she calls him Bill. Don't call me Bill. Nobody calls me Bill. I'm Willie to my intimates. I prefer Smithers. And he calls her bossy and strumpy. And I had to look up strumpy. You'd never heard strumpy before? Never heard it before. Mm. It means bad-tempered and argumentative. Yeah. So yes, indeed, you can be bossy and strumpy. It's kind of redundant. It, it is a little redundant, but they're not mutually exclusive. When I think strumpy, I think of like stompy almost, like somebody who's not just bossy, but is um, kind of loud about it, might yep. slam things down. or And she's not at all. She's no, not just at like, all. She's very nice. We had breakfast and you weren't here. Yes. And... You had ample time. <laughs> and this is this is one of the things I like about Willie is that he's not just a nice guy and not just a bad guy. Like he's no, a he's mixture. A, he's a complex character. He's a com- there are a lot there are of complex characters. Complex in this. characters. There's so much more complex than an episode with travelers, which shall be not mentioned. And I think that's kind of a combination of two things. One, I think the writer was very thoughtful about the experience of older people and what their lives have been like and how they're treated when they get to be this age. And I think the other element is that, as you pointed out, it's kind of a big brother kind of situation. When you've got people tightly together 24-7, you do learn more than just surfacey things. They're not just passing each other in the village green. They all live together. and. And so you, we get that kind of view into who they are, too. It's like being on a cruise ship until the end of your days. Yeah, but nobody gets dysentery, hopefully. No, hopefully not. Smithers is played by Nigel Davenport, 
Oh, what what a name! Right, right there. What a name! Let me just say, when he was younger, he was quite hunky. I, I saw a picture of him in the IMDb's, and he he's like a military dude. Yeah, he's looking pretty good. He's quite hunky. He was in this really cool movie called Phase Four in 1974. Okay. Now you ruin all of our Netflix recommendations by watching horrible old movies. Have you ever seen Phase Four? I. Cannot recall seeing phase four, but if you describe it to me, I might be like, oh yeah, I've seen that. (laughs) This man has watched every Hammer horror film ever. Which are really good. And all kinds of crazy wackadoodle foreign movies. Anyway, phase four is about a little, there are three people who survive this onslaught of intelligent ants. Ah, uh, yes, I have seen They're this They're not movie. big. Yes, it's British, right? Yes. Yeah, I've seen this movie. They're not big, <laughs> but they but they become smart. It is, it, there's a lot of repeat of scenery of close-ups of ants. Yes. Yes, I've seen this movie. Yes, there's a lot of like um, nature documentary kind of footage of ants. Yeah, so I saw this movie on the Late Late Show when I was a kid the first time, and then I probably saw it again as a, Teenager. I watched like 20 minutes of it today and I'm still itchy. Yeah, it's really itchy. <laughs> yep. Lots of close-ups of ants. I mean, Nigel Davenport was in all kinds of things, but it, I saw that. I was like, okay, I've got to watch a little bit of that. Okay, now I need to stop watching a little bit of that. <laughs> now I need to go itch for a while. Alice is outside and... We notice here the apple doesn't fall far from the tree here. She's kind of like, oh, what's going on? And she's kind of inquisitive. And Well, she's the new girl, yeah. right? So she's checking everything out. And George gives up all the dirt that she thinks Hillary and the doctor are going to change people's wills. No, they're not doing that. No, George has all kinds of conspiracy ideas. Yep. And this is what's hard because we know that George is a little bit senile, but she's not dumb and she no. is observant. And there's a flashback of her getting some shoes. And in this flashback, I, I have to tell you, George really reminds me of my mom in this flashback. There, She's trying on the shoes. Yeah, just the way she moves and stuff like that and the way she talks. And she sees the doctor and Hillary in the car together. Hillary's the woman who runs the old age home. Mm-hmm. She says, there's nothing wrong with Muriel's heart. We're, we got conspiracy stuff clouding everything. And you've already you brought up this flashback scene. So Miss Richards, Hillary. Yes. They call her Miss Richards throughout the episode. Um, could she look more suspicious on the street? Like she's getting into Dr. Warrenford's car and she's got like a little briefcase with her. And she looks left and she looks right. And she pats her briefcase. And then she looks left and she looks right. And then I she have... gets in the car. Like your colleagues, you can just get in his car. Yes. I have all my accoutrements. Oh, we package. know what she's got in there. Oh, yeah. We'll get there. <laughs> And next we get to meet Cyril. Yes. Are you all right? Are you all right? Uh, he's Cyril's so fantastic. wonderful. I think he is the drink of the episode. Every time he says, are you all right? You should drink. Every time he says it, it means something slightly different. The actor is amazing. He is amazing. And he was an amazing person too. Je- Jeffrey um, Bailden, who played him. Mm-hmm. I, I, I got into this guy. I could not stop reading about this guy. Okay? I, I can only think that he had an exciting life. It's it it's crazy. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm looking at my wrong note. His name's Sam Beasley. Sam he is amazing, okay. but it's Sam Beasley. He began his acting career on the stage. Okay. He starred with John Gilgood. Well, you know. In like six plays in a row. Well, yeah. When he was in his teens. Oh, jeez. He got one bad review, and it made him give it up. Oh. Then he went into the military. 
for yep. World War II. Yep. And they asked him at the recruiting office, oh, what can you do? And he said, nothing, I'm an actor. <laughs> but he, he wound up, right? he actually wound up being, <laughs> he had a lot of commendations in the military. But when he came back, he started an antique shop and he ran the antique shop until he was in his 70s. Oh, nice. And then decided to go back to acting. Oh, fair. When nice. he was 73. You can start at any time. Yeah. So he took over 50 years off. Of acting. From acting. There's a little hole in his IMDb there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But he was a very successful antique dealer, too. He was really well known. He seemed like the most likable, wonderful person in the world. And while we're talking about characters who we like in this episode, you've already talked about Arthur Pruitt. Yeah. Who's very, you know, kind of organizing and he's on top of it. So his name is Jeffrey Bailden. Okay. And this guy is an icon who, who you don't know about. Okay. Not only was he a gay man who was out his whole career. Yeah, I think it's fantastic the way they deal with homosexuality in this issue, yeah. in this episode. Because Arthur comes across as being like afraid of the police. Yep. And Troy brings that up. And Tom points out when he was younger, being gay was a crime. And so I, no wonder he's afraid of police. And, and I've met older gay people who ha- kind of have that thing. Yeah, because they, for a majority of their lives, it was it was a bad thing to admit, right? And you're living a life over looking over your shoulder. I almost wonder if the writers didn't write that little bit in for him okay. because that was Jeffrey Bailden's life. Okay. You know, was he, he wasn't, he never came out. He just was out. Yeah. He never had to announce it. But he played this incredible character in a show from 70 to 71 called Cat Weasel. Cat Weasel. Where he was a time traveling Anglo-Saxon wizard. Nice. Who looks like he just fell out of a dumpster. Oh, awesome. So you take this Arthur character who's like persnickety and tidy and everything is straight and... Yeah, he like tiss, tiss, tiss all the time. And then you compare him to this character he's really well known for called Cat Weasel, who is dirty and nasty and has all this facial hair. And like, it's oh, just, it's nuts. We will definitely put a Cat Weasel picture. Oh, in, you have to. He was also Q in Casino Royale oh, in 67. That's interesting. I mean, he, he, he had a very long career. He was even in um, Born to Boogie, the T-Rex documentary that um the beatles drummer ringo Starr directed he was in I that have no idea what you're talking about you never heard of that no okay i'll go back into my weird closet then sorry <laughs> this is a movie directed by ringo Starr. yeah is it it's a documentary yeah about t-rexes no about t-rex oh, about t-rex okay <laughs> i thought it was a movie about dinosaurs <laughs> it's not about tyrannosaurus rex dinosaurs it's about t-rex now you can understand why i was like <laughs> Yeah, what? and 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 what did Jeffrey Bailden play? T Rex makes sense. And what does he do in this movie? He's in it as like Mark Boland in it, or like no, 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 no. Um, it's a it's a documentary. Oh, so did he know T Rex? No. Well, yeah, <laughs> and they liked him. Okay, that's what's important. Okay. Well, he really liked Cat Weasel. Oh, okay. So Mark Boland really liked Cat Cat Weasel. Weasel. And so they were like, ah, we need that guy to be in our documentary. Get him. I now have to watch this documentary. Of course you do. It's called Born to Boogie. Born to Boogie. You can look up T-Rex on Spotify and listen to some music. As you should. T-Rex is a great band. Tom arrives and the doctor has no time for Arthur. 
and kind of just is really mean to him. But Arthur is like, I have a sore shoulder. So you kind of understand where the doctor's coming from. Yeah, because this cannot be the first time that Arthur has complained about something little. And it's it's got to be a common thing. If you're old and you don't get much attention and the doctor comes, maybe that's the only person who talks to you sometimes. Exactly. You know? So maybe you do get to be a little bit of a con- hypochondriac. And to his credit, Tom doesn't like immediately assume, well, that doctor's mean jerk. He's just like, oh. No, no. Tom mm-hmm. forms his opinion of the doctor later on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Willie forms a different opinion later on. Are you all right? <laughs> Alice and Tom, she's so genuinely happy to see him when yep. he comes. They take a walk, and I get angry because they take this nice arm-in-arm walk. It's beautiful there. Down this path yep. that has arches over it with climbing roses and all these flowers. Barnaby tells this wonderful story about his mom. This anger is a seething anger deep inside my heart. Why why do you have this anger? That I don't talk about very often. Okay. And I don't think I've mentioned it on the podcast yet. Okay. This This is a podcast first. I need a little therapy moment. Okay. I have a wisteria. We do. That will not bloom. It hates us. It's a giant beast. It's ripped the trellis out of the ground. It's threatened to topple a maple that's near it. And the damn thing has only ever had one flower on it. No matter what I do, what witchy thing I do to it, spin wittershins under the moon and green underwear and cut off branches at certain times of year and fertilize it in certain ways and call it names or be nice to it. No matter what I do, it won't flower. And every time I see landscaping like this, just just angry. This tree hates us so much that it, oozed black stuff out of it this this spring we thought it was gonna die i kind of hoped it was gonna die thought it was gonna die but oh no oh no more leaves than ever if i trimmed it once a week it would still try to block our walk yep we can't get to our cars it hates us but it won't grow a flower nope and constantly in midsummer this is exciting podcast by the way i'm sorry i have to vent a little bit Constantly in midsummer, you see these little cottages where these little old people who can barely lift their arms live, and it's covered in blooming, flowering well, wisteria. The, the, the realtor guy who got his head cut off had wisteria all over the front of his house. Oh, yeah. And a pear tree. Yeah. He could even grow pears. We can't grow pears. We can't even grow wisteria. But man, we grow weeds. Weeds is in like the kind you need weed killer for. Yes. Not weed. Z. Z. Anyway, sorry. It was the first episode. I just couldn't take it anymore. I was like, okay, look at all those damn climbing vine flower things. Before they have that walk, Barnaby meets Prue, though. We have a tiny little plot point to hit. Yeah. Prue's waiting there in the lobby to pick up her aunt and take her to the hospital. Take her to the hospital. That's all we need to cover because that's the first incidence of Prue. And it's sad that Barnaby talks about his mom and she thought everybody was stealing from her. It's sad. Well... Because she, she wasn't quite right before she died, right? Yep. But Prue Pr- Bennett's played by Angela Down, who's also in the Creeper episode. Oh, nice. In 2009. Tom's leaving, but you know, he looks up and you know, he's got the buck. He's absolutely got the buck. Alice has told him just enough that he's like, oh, you know, that happens in places like this. And then he's like, mm, or maybe uh, he's on vacation. He would rather investigate a crime that didn't happen than go home and paint. Yes. I don't blame well, him. he's not the greatest handyman in the world. Nope. So he goes to the doctor's house, which is a super nice house. He lives in the rectory of, yeah. a, of a church. He's got a wisteria, too. Yes, he does. <laughs> 
And Just he saying. basically is like, what do you want? I'm in the middle of my lunch. He leaves his door hanging open. Well, we know he leaves his door open leaves, other times. Leaves his beer lined up on a table in another room. I mean, I know that British people don't value cold beer as much as Americans do. They don't think it has to be super chilly. But do they really just leave it out on a table like that? It is better, best served room temperature. Ugh. Sorry. But yep. He's very into the horse racing. And he talks about maybe hitting some guy. It's just all red herrings all over the place. Oh, yeah. He says the old lady died of a heart attack. And basically... That's what old ladies die of. That's what old ladies... You can see yourself out. Meanwhile, Miss Richards is outside lurking in a bush. Sneaks in. <laughs> She's got her briefcase with her. Oh. oh. <laughs> Which, okay. If, if, we're not spoiling anything. Everybody should have seen the episode. If you didn't prepare before, pause now. Go watch it. Or we're going to ruin it for you. Miss Richards is a dominatrix, right? Okay, so I told you this. I... For... Ever. I'm like, what episode has the guy lying on the bed getting whipped by the dominatrix? I know there's an episode that has that. Well, there's more than one. And I thought it was this episode. I didn't think it was this episode. I thought it was uh, like four different other episodes. I'm like, no. Like even the guy who turns out to be with the, the teenage boy, I thought... He was doing it with some lady, and no, so it I'm snuck wrong. up on you. Huh? It just it. I was like, Miss Richards Bustier. I was like, what? Oh, it's this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking, if you're a dominatrix, are you gonna prowl around sneaky? Or are you gonna walk right into the front door? Well, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's you know because you come. Maybe to, she's maybe she's sneaking around because Warnford's married. We have no idea where his wife is yes. ever. You, you come to find out in this episode that the doctor and Miss Richards are not horrible people. No. They're not out to get anybody. They're desperate to do their BDSM love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I kind of... Well, he's I, cheating on his wife. Yeah, he is cheating he's on his perfect. wife. But I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, like, it's whatever they want to do. They're not doctoring wills. They're nope. not embezzling money nope. from old people. No, nope. they didn't kill anybody. No. So... Let them do whatever they want to do. So maybe she's creeping around because she wants to make sure his wife isn't there. I think so. So back at the old age home, Mungo's back. The nurses are watching TV. Every time I hear Mungo, I think Mongo. Yeah, Mongo. I think Mongo from Blazing Saddles. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but no, he's Mungo. And for some reason, I thought he was hideously deformed. Maybe because of his name? Maybe because you were thinking of Mongo. Maybe. But Mongo, he's, he, only pawn in Game of Life. Yes. <laughs> he's not a bad looking dude. The light hit him and I'm like, oh no, that's not Mungo. No, he's a decent Mungo's guy. Mungo's deformed. No, no. So Mungo, they, they kind of insinuate that it's a, a nickname for his real name, which is Maurice. Yes. Right? But I didn't buy that. Like, those don't have anything in common. It's like Jack being short for John. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. So I looked it up. And it is common for men with M names, if they have a nickname, for Mungo to be one of the options. I've, I've never been called Mungo. Okay. Not here. Okay. In Wales. Oh, it's Welsh. I hadn't got to that point yet. Okay. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a reference to St. Kittigern. Okay. Um, who was more commonly known as Mungo. Okay. And... It's actually kind of a bastardization of a Gaelic word into Welsh that means my pet. Okay. <laughs> Did mommy call him Mongo? 
Mungo. Mungo. So Mungo is kind of like my pet or little one or my deer. My petit chouchou. My petit chouchou. Yeah. So Mungo makes him sound like Mungo, dum dum. Yeah. Um, but really, it's like my petit chouchou, my little cabbage. Yep. Okay. Okay. Mungo he gets in. The the nurses are watching some television show. Uh, please help us out. There are two television shows in this episode. Oh, this one's not nearly as puzzling as the one that Cully's watching later. The one that Cully's watching is incredibly puzzling. I spent easily 30 minutes of my life trying to find out what that television show was, and I couldn't. So if you know what television show they're watching, please tweet us or send us a message on Instagram. It looks like some kind of teeny bopper sitcom. Yeah. Two girls sitting at like a lunch table in a cafeteria, chit-chatting. Mr. Corona... Buzzes and Mungo approaches Bartlett because he's looking for Sister Lovelace. Nurse Bartlett. Yes. This was her last acting job. Before? B- before she quit acting. Oh, okay. And she became a professor. Oh, what is she a professor of? Acting. Oh, okay. <laughs> At Chichester University in Sussex. Oh. She's on LinkedIn. Oh. <laughs> Maybe we should look up her CV. Her name is Miranda Kingsley, by the way. Nurse Bartlett. And he, he confronts her. Now, later on, we find, out we, that Mungo, we find out that Mungo is desperate to talk to Sister Lovelace because he thinks she might have the wrong impression of him and that maybe he did something to hurt his mother and to and kill he, his mother, right? And he's desperate to correct that misunderstanding. And he is dealing with the death of his mother, which he admits he is it's, taking him by surprise. It's not, he's not handling it as well as he thought. Yeah. But I, I'm not buying that for this scene. It, for this scene, he totally looks like a heavy. He's definitely being threatening. He grabs her arm. And tight enough that she seems to be in pain. He startles her. She drops a mug and it shatters. Yep. If his intentions were what they say, what he says they are later, wouldn't he say, mm. oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to startle you. I just, I really need to talk to Sister Lovelace. Yeah, it's I really important. I don't think he's the best communicator. No. And I also... Uh, think it, it it's what leads to the weird jarring line of tell sister Lovelace where I am. Here's where I am. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm brooding and threatening and climbing around in the dark, but I'm staying at this hotel. You wanted to know why they only call Lovelace sister and everybody else's nurse. Yep. That's because she's the senior nurse. Okay. And the whole sister thing is a, a, a throwback to when hospitals were religious institutions. Yeah. And they were run by nuns. Yes. Were the, Caregivers. So the head nurse in a British hospital or home like this is called sister. Yeah, and they're everybody else's nurse. So you know the sister is the senior most nurse. And just a little fun fact, in German, do you know what nurse is in German? No. Krankenschwester. Krankenschwester. Whoa. Broke sister. Broke sister. <laughs> nice. Or sick sister. I went to the sick sister. Du bist ein Krankenschwester. <laughs> it sounds much more ominous, doesn't it? Well, thank goodness. That Joyce is counting the curtain hooks. Joyce is practically glamorous in this episode. She is. Her hair is done. Her makeup is done. The one time when she could be bedheaded and gnarly, moving, painting, hanging curtains, all that looks stuff. Looks better than ever. She looks beautiful. She does. Uh, and they send Cully to go see Alice. It's so sweet. She goes and they sit around George and Smithers and Alice and Cully. She's a hit. She is, because she's genuinely considerate of them. And we find out that Smithers was a chauffeur. Yep. That he had kind of a glamorous life. He drove some actors around and everything. Um, Before that, 
Alice meets with Mrs. Armstrong, who is uh, Prue's niece, uh, aunt. Right. And she's the one who's been to the hospital. And she basically says, I got bad news of the hospital. I'm going to let nature take its course. She's terminal and she knows it. But let me tell you about Mungo Mortimer. (laughs) Yeah. Let's not talk about my death. Yes. Let's gossip about this guy who lurks around being creepy. Yeah. And she says he's a dangerous man. Again, we find out that he may be a dangerous man. He's acting dangerous. He is. Why he thinks he can only go and approach Sister Lovelace at night. night. Like, he's doing things in a suspicious way. He is. Troy comes to see uh, Barnaby at home and says, Miss Richard's called. Tom has on his coveralls. Yes, he does. And he has a beer. He looks genuinely relaxed and happy. And she doesn't want him to come to the old age home. Let's meet in Coston. Yeah. At the tea shop. Because she doesn't want to be seen. And then there's this this moment with Cully and Billy Smithers. Where, Don't call him Billy. Yep. <laughs> where She's he, getting in the car. He really opens up about his life. And she really opens up about, I noticed you. Like His wife is dead. Yep. His daughter is married. And he doesn't get along very well with her and her he's husband. He's a charming man. And he's a charming man, but he says, when you're old, you're invisible. No one notices an old fart. And she says, I noticed you. Yeah, it's And he it's seems so, so nice. genuinely happy. There's some good acting going on yeah. because they've got these seasoned actors. That are really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at the tea shop, uh, she talks about how a resident died and a watch went missing. How could you pay any attention to that conversation with those giant meringues that go on behind them? <laughs> All I could think about was those giant meringues. Mm, We've been watching the season seven of the British Bake Off, and uh, I was thinking about baking when we were when I was rewatching the episode. And then those meringues, as big as your head, go by behind them on a tray, and I'm like, "Grab one, grab one! <laughs> they look so good." <laughs> Eat it, Tom. No Eat cabbage it. soup for you. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, so Miss Richards is she's she's concerned about the watch, right? Because it went missing, and she doesn't want any hint of stealing, which is absolutely understandable. Absolutely, you you can't. I mean, it's tough enough when people are dying in a nursing home. You don't need people to be paranoid about other oh. things like theft. And Troy and Barnaby assures her that he will put Troy on it and he will be discreet. So he and walks in and flashes his badge. Walks in and flashes his badge. I have to say, Troy's very professional in this episode. Oh, yeah. Even his driving is kind of okay. Yeah, he doesn't run off the road, ever. Hardly, yeah. <laughs> so we do see the watch. We yes. get kind of a flashback of the watch on the bedside table. And I tried to get a good look at it there. And then I tried to get a good look at it in the jewelry shop when Smithers, watch. When Smithers sells it. And he sells it to Sebastian Renwick, our favorite jeweler. Right. Who looked at the Rolex. Yes. Right. Um, a few episodes ago. I, cu- I couldn't really tell whether there were jewels around the face of that watch or not. Yeah. And that's a big difference. Yeah. But Smithers would have got at least two grand for that watch. I, I got to think that he had quite a bit of money. It could have been two grand to 20 grand. Wow. So he's got enough for a few plowman's lunches. I got to think Renwick is pretty tight with the money. Yeah. But, but even at like pawn shop prices, he'd yeah. have two grand. Okay. Troy arrives, really doesn't understand the word subtle, <laughs> but Nurse Bartlett basically set, does the right thing and says, Mongo Mortimer was here and he was weird and you should look into him. They go into the staff room. So we have to remember, like it's hard to forget because it's so dark. 
that this retirement home is an old country house. Yeah. It's a beautiful place, but it's very dark. Dark. It's so dark. The whole episode is dark. Even the sunshine is dark. (laughs) It's a very dark episode. But they go, uh, Bartlett takes Troy into the sitting room, like the nurse's sitting room. Yeah. And it's one of those, um, uh, like a library or a lounge in an old house that has kind of contiguous painted wood panels around the walls so that when it was new, when you were in the room, the door would have practically been hidden. Like it it becomes invisible. Right, because it just blends in. And it's it's so beautiful. I I don't know what house this is. It may be a combination of houses. I looked in the locations book and it didn't say which... Where, where that house yeah, was. Yeah, they may have shot in a few, but yeah. man, the woodwork in this place is it's just phenomenal. Just gorgeous. She talks about Mungo, gives up all the information, and then Troy's like, oh, I'll go see Mortimer at the Stoner Arms. And as he's driving up, the doctor pulls over and says to Mortimer, is everything okay? Are you all right? <laughs> yeah, he's really saying, where's my money? And Mortimer's basically, yeah. I, I, th- I think the I money's going to turn out. Everything's going to be okay. And they drive off together. And then Troy arrives. Yeah, at the like he just missed him. But now we know that Mungo and Warnford are in cahoots with one another. Yep. Right? So it's not just Mungo being creepy and Warnford being creepy. They're creepy together. Yes. And he, Warnford wears an ascot. Yes. Cyril wears an ascot, and on Cyril, it's cute, it's lovely, he's adorable. When Warnford wears an ascot, he's uppity. Yep, it's it's completely different, and that is acting. And right now there. we get to our fav- my favorite scene, which is dance night. Dance night. It is wonderful. The question I had, so they're listening to Glenn Miller, mm-hmm. which is time appropriate for them. Right. I'm wondering, when we're at the old old age home, when we're doing our podcast to episode 20, <laughs> season 26 of Midsummer, whatever that is, um, what are we going to be listening to? T-Rex. T-Rex. No, I don't know. There's some good dancers here. So Cyril is actually a pretty good dancer. I thought maybe that was a foot double. Yeah. Because there's some really live foot he's... going on. I thought, oh, they must have got a dancer in to come in and play his feet. Yeah. I couldn't find any evidence in the credits that that happened. I couldn't. I think I it might be him. I think he's a pretty good dancer. He was. He was known to be a good dancer. I don't know if he was still that live. He's at certainly that point. having fun. He's genuinely having a good time. Yep. Uh, and then we have gripping ham can. <laughs> it's like the crawl. The hand. crawl. It's Arthur's hand, right? Yep. Because he just can't stand not to clean up Madge's room. Yes. <laughs> Making him crazy. He's like. Waiting for her to dance so he can run off to her room and straighten it up. Yes. So this is where Cyril says, "Are you all right?" And it's nice. Yeah. It's not like a greeting. No. No. He actually means it. But uh, they make the old people climb so many stairs in this show. There's an elevator, but everybody seems to climb the stairs. There's so many stairs. I guess it keeps them fit. Alice wears this lovely yellow satin robe that only somebody with white hair could pull off. Yep. She's an elegant lady. She is. You get the impression that she's had that kind of life, you know? And she gives her shawl to Madge. To keep her warm. And then she finds Madge dead. In her shawl. Bum, bum, bum. And there's more screaming. Yeah. Well, she's more of, more of a mouth cover than a uulator like George's. You know what's hard? Getting the coffin out of the building. 
these same guys keep coming back to take the bodies out and every yep. other time they forget there's a, there's a ledge there's a little and Mrs. at the door what's her name Mrs. Randall Mrs. Richards Mrs. Richards is like, is like putting down the, the carpet like she does a great she's job she's trying to fix being, the doormat yep. I, I think that was actually legitimate I think she they improvised a little think, bit because I they really she, did mess up yep. the doormat yep. she's like would you just get out of here <laughs> the next time they take a body out when the next person dies after Madge they know they've learned their lesson. They lift it up over that little legend. Out they go. So Tom rushes off to see Alice because he's concerned for her. And yeah, because somebody's died in the middle of the night. And she's found the body. And and she, I don't want to make a nuisance of myself. And that that is just good old people writing. Yeah. Because if they all said that, it would be trite. Right. But the, they picked right moment for her to say that. Yeah. And she legitimately says, what if they were after me? She was wearing my shawl. And then Tom points out logically that it's, they were in Madge's room. So they, n- clearly they wouldn't have know been looking Madge's for her room. in Madge's room. And, and she accepts that. And then there's a weird mirror thing because there's always a weird mirror thing. There's a thing. lot of weird reflection shots in yep. this episode. Yep. But but they're okay. Yep. Tom goes off the DIY store with Troy, who apparently doesn't have any job to do. Well, he's the fetch and carry boy right now. Yep. Um, Prue sees them and freaks. She owns a gallery. Yeah. Prue's gallery. Yep. And Troy... Is not enticing. No. Troy goes out to see everybody. Are you all right? And Arthur's at first very impressed by him. And then the fear comes over him. It's just such good acting. As soon as Troy says he's a policeman, Arthur looks terrified. It's, it's such good acting. Yeah. And at nighttime, Alice hears some muffled whining and some footsteps and finds an earring. Dun, dun, dun. The earring. And we find out that Mrs. Armstrong has died in the night. But we knew she was terminally ill. Yep. So what Alice was really hearing was Prue creeping into the house and killing her aunt. Yes. With a and pillow. We'll, and we'll get to that. We'll right. get to that. But just, just to kind of connect it, right? Yeah. So that's what she's hearing when she hears somebody creeping around. So it's it's not a place that you can be stealthy. It is an old house. Yeah. There are squeaky stairs and squeaky floors. Well, the, the old people going up the stairs got to breathe heavy too, I would imagine. <laughs> you need a little oxygen tank I breathe at the top heavy of the when I go up and down the stairs. So, uh, next morning at breakfast, uh, well, before that, Bar- Troy goes over to the Barnabys and basically assassinates uh, what's his name's character, Arthur. Arthur's character. And this is when Tom points out he's probably has legitimate reason not to like police. Yeah. And Tom's painting with lavender paint and doing a really shitty job. He is not a painter. That whole scene, I'm like, dude, you missed a spot. You missed a spot. Go back, paint that spot. And he's like stirring with the stir stick and like rolling his roller around in the pan. Like, you missed a spot. (laughs) Auntie Alice calls and says, Mrs. Armstrong's dead. And she knows she's been murdered. And Dr. Warren's not trustworthy. And she's frightened of Mortimer. So let's go see Mortimer. And he's playing snooker. So that is a snooker table? Because it's bigger than a pool table, right? It is a snooker table. And he doesn't sink a red, so he can't play again. Though I don't know who he's playing against. Well, himself. So he just gets it out and hits it again. But he's got fabulous tartan pants on. Fabulous This is another one of those super dark episodes. I mean, I know billiard table lights immediately over it, but it's almost... dramatic. Purposefully? Yeah. Yeah. And Tom's having none of his guff. Nope, none he's, of it at all. He's supposed to be on vacation, and he's not having it. And Mortimer says, I'm cut up. I didn't think I would be, but 
the death of my mother has affected me in more ways. And Tom doesn't believe him, but you know, in the end of it, you realize that he is telling all the truth here. Yeah, but in the moment, I don't believe him either. Nope. I thought he's a shyster because that's what he's acting like. If he didn't creep around at night, you wouldn't be suspicious of him. You might buy that. Exactly. Exactly. Mungo's having money problems. He wants to get the money from his mom, but he didn't want her to linger. This is what Sister Lovelace tells Barnaby, right? Yeah, because she was was terminal, but she could last two days or two years, right? And And we know Mungo needs money. Yep. And this is when Arthur pulls him aside and says, I've done something dreadful. It's so sad. It's so sad. And he only wants to confess to Tom, not to Troy. So what has happened? And we'll make a joke about this, but this is really sad. Arthur is so upset by how Madge's room is messy. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's funny because you said, oh, my gosh, her room is so messy. I'm like. The first time you see her dressing table with all the old snotty Kleenex on it. Yeah. It's like, what a mess. So he goes while they're (laughs) dancing to clean up her room. And basically she opens the door and finds him in her room. And it startles her. And it startles her. And she dies. And her brain explodes. She dies. She has an aneurysm or a stroke or something. She's that messy of a person. That if somebody's cleaning up her mess, it makes her brain explode. I don't know. Arthur can come over our house anytime. Yes. He can. Absolutely. He can straighten up anything he wants. Absolutely. Have at, dude. Alice is on to another book, though. I got to tell you about this book. This is The Widow's Cruise. Yeah. By Nicholas Blake. No, that I'd never heard of that one. Oh, well, you do you know who Nicholas Blake is? No. It's not Nicholas Blake. It's C.S. Lewis. Mm. So this is a book by C.S. Lewis with the gentleman detective by the name of Nigel Strangeways. Ooh. Can I like just read every one of those books right now, please? Because that's that the best you, name ever. Makes you want to change your name, doesn't it? It does. Strangeways. Strangeways. Nigel Strangeways. Absolutely. So I didn't. So C.S. Lewis had a nom de plume that he, he wrote. He had a number of them, and one of them was Nicholas Blake, and he wrote this detective novel. I didn't know that. Yes. Are all the books that they read detective novels in this they episode? They are, and I think that relates to what her and George, the conversation they have at the end, because mm-hmm. George is like, oh, I'm not into red, blue herrings. Yeah. And she corrects that it's a red herring. Because they're all mystery novels. And I think it also kind of. Is supposed to contribute to the way Alice sees things going on and kind of tries to put things together, observations, that maybe she sees nefariousness where it doesn't belong because she reads all these detective books. Yeah. I so think, she's making I up crimes in her head. I think subtly implied. Yeah, yeah. Well, Willie has quite the afternoon. <laughs> he goes into town. He has a nice lunch with some alcohol. He finds out the doctor lives nearby. He goes and finds the doctor's car. The doctor's car has the keys in it. Mm-hmm. Mistake number one. Second of all, the doctor's door is open. And as we know, in midsummer, if your door is open, boots be knocking. <laughs> yeah, either you're watching the horses or, or having forbidden sex. So Willie sneaks upstairs and sees a little BDSM going on. Yep. Uh, the doctor you is... You think you know everything, don't you? getting spanked by <laughs> Mrs. Richards in her one-piece... And Miss Richards looks good. She looks great in her one-piece bustier. She's super frumpy the rest yes, of the episode, but absolutely. not in that one. You know, we 
um, we, we missed something that bothered me. Okay. We skipped over this little thing. Prue is back in the lobby. Yep. Right. Her, her aunt has died and she's there and she's being weird. Yep. Right. Tom sees her and he's like, I'm so sorry for your loss. And she almost acts angry. Yeah. Rather than sad. Yes. Okay. She's got on a sleeveless shirt. Yes. With a sweater vest over it. it what is she wearing? Are her boobs cold? I guess so. Because otherwise, I don't understand. It's July. My boobs are cold. Why do you wear a sweater vest over a sleeveless shirt? It's a weird combo. I don't know. But the shirt weirdness doesn't end there. Okay. Because then Tom and Troy go and talk to Sister Lovelace. Every time they cut away from Tom and cut back to him, another button on his shirt is unbuttoned. What? It's Tom busting out? It's practically down to his belly button by the end of the scene. I don't know what he's doing between takes. Like we almost see Tom nipple. <laughs> His, he's got that kind of like brushed silk bomber jacket on yep. over his denim, you know, working around the house shirt. And it just keeps unbuttoning itself. Willie is on the loose in the car. Oh, man. Go, Willie. Go. I'm so happy for him. Even when he crashes, I'm like, woohoo, go. I, I wish the one thing I wish they had done when he crashes the car, I wish they had put an audio of him laughing hysterically. Yeah, that would have made it even better. Because he... He's hurt. He breaks his arm. But it's still worth it. But it's still worth it. Yeah, whiplash, broken arm, black eye. Even in the hospital, he's like, I know I've done wrong things. I'm sure you can charge me for stuff, but it was worth it. (laughs) He knows he's going to get in trouble. He flogged the watch. He just gives everything up in the hospital. Why not? What are they going to do to him? Yeah, him driving that Aston Martin... Because we know he used to drive fancy cars when he was in a chauffeur. He he loves cars. He loves cars. And... He just, he's living it up. So there's some stuff with the Waterford and Mongo, but it really doesn't make any difference because that night, Alice has figured everything out. Yeah. And she knows who's lost an earring. And and Prue is creeping Mongo-like around in the dark. Yes, again. So Tom and Joyce are out for dinner. Because Prue's already confronted Alice about, because she's climbing around on the floor in her aunt's room. Yep. And she says, what are you doing? She's, well, And Alice says, I found an earring. And suddenly Prue's like killer mode, like, you found an earring? Where is it? She scares Alice to death. She has to go run into the bathroom and close the door. Poor Alice. The dark, dark bathroom. The dark, dark bathroom. So we're already kind of on guard about Prue. We think that she's, you know, the killer. And and then she decides to come back at night. She's totally doing a mungo. She's doing a mungo. So Alice phones Barnaby and gets Cully, who is watching the weirdest show ever yeah there's like a a big cross-dresser and a guy in a mohawk it's not divine but it's a divine like character yeah if anybody knows what it is tell us please tell us what she sure is is huffy about having to get up and answer the phone she doesn't want to do that and she answers the phone by repeating the number they dialed that number (laughs) yeah i don't know why anybody ever does that since the days when there was an operator who connected your call yeah you didn't need to do that so Obviously, we've forgotten cell phones in this in this episode. She knows who killed Celia Armstrong, so Cully calls the restaurant. The restaurant because Alice is legitimately scared. Yep, Prue's in the house. She's coming for her. Yep, and Barnaby is at the restaurant and he pays. And he and Joyce are having a nice dinner. And for once, she's not saying, you know, oh, you're always working or whatever. She, she, they're talking about the case because they both care about Alice. Yep. Then they get the call 
Yep. So they're going to leave. And so they get the check. And boy, I watched this part of the episode for maybe 20 minutes. What was so interesting about a credit card and a receipt? Okay. First of all, the credit card receipt is for Lloyd's Bank of London payment card visa. The number on the visa, I can't tell the first number, but the rest of the number is 921-8216-0193-8092. They bought 62 pounds even worth of food at the Swan in Tetsworth. Now, this is where it gets interesting. (laughs) Okay, I'm waiting for it to get interesting. (laughs) Because the credit card, the name on the credit card is Allison McMillan. What? Yes. Not Tom Barnaby? Barnaby. Who's Allison McMillan? Allison McMillan is a property buyer for the episode. <gasps> That's her credit card? That is her actual credit <gasps> card. <laughs> and only one number is hidden? And only one number is hidden. And the restaurant is real. You can go to the Swan at Tetsworth at 5 Upper Street, OX9, 7AB in uh, in. Uh, Oxford, England. The number is uh, plus four four one eight double four two eight one one eight two. Are I they sponsoring at, this episode? I don't or know, what? but I looked at their menu and it looks pretty good. Wow, she must have had to get a new credit card after that. I can only think. And then Tom signs it at the bottom. Tom Barnaby credit oh. card fraud. <laughs> No wonder you were so interested. Okay, I take it back. That is interesting. <laughs> Allison McMillan. So I was I, like, so oh member, my gosh, who is this Allison McMillan person? And why and then does I Tom did a have search. her credit card? I did a search. And I'm like, she's a property buyer. I, I looked really hard to find Allison McMillan because I wanted to email her and go, did you need to get a new credit card? <laughs> So she's a member of the crew. Yep. They needed a card. Yep. At so this just, real restaurant. So they just put a card down. And they charged 62, 62 pounds to her card and Tom signed it. The, the actor signed it, Tom Barnum. I'd love to have that receipt. It's fantastic. <laughs> Allison McMillan, if you're listening, let us know. Please, please. <laughs> If any other freaky deakies like Mark noticed that your credit card number was right there. That I just read out. (laughs) (laughs) It's a rather old credit card. I would assume that it has been replaced. Yes. (laughs) It was past its expiry date. So, well, I'm going to, I'm, that's fact of the week. It says Allison McMillan on the card. Yeah. Absolutely. Tom just committed a crime. It's okay. Because the slowest chase ever is happening back at the... They got plenty of time. Prue is going and uh, Alice is going. They hide out in the TV lounge. There's no alarms nope. on these doors. Nope. Which would be standard in a retirement Prue home. Prue just walks in. We know that this one door is supposedly broken, yep. right? But it's standard in an old folks home to have good locks and alarms. Well, they, because they when want, you when you're seeing like George leaving. Right, you can wander off. But there's another thing I don't understand about this very slow chase, right? Yep. So Alice is at the little round table in the foyer, yep. making the phone call. She gets panicked and she knocks her reading glasses to the floor. Yes. And suddenly, she's blind. Like blind. She only needs those glasses to read. But but now well, it's she's dark. blind. But they do this little clever thing where they make it blurry. Yeah. So you almost feel like she does. Yeah. If in fact she was that blind, which yes. we know she's not because she hardly wears the glasses. Of course. But suddenly 
she can't see anything without them. Yeah. Barnaby arrives, immediately finds how they get in. The doctor, who, why is the doctor here, um, shows up and is helpful. Can I help? Yeah. And and Miss Richards is helpful, too. Yep. Prue is obviously upset because they find them in the TV lounge and she's holding Prue. Yeah. Like there's cuddling a, her. There's a good moment of tension where we, we don't know where Prue's gone. It's likely that she's found Alice. Yeah. And we don't know what's happened. And all we see is the back of Alice's head above the couch. But this is the so, gentlest episode ever. So. Right. But but she could be dead. Yep. Right? I mean, Tom's got to think that. But instead, she's holding Prue and Prue's, Prue's crying. And Prue tells Barnaby a story about Mrs. Armstrong and that she had her cancer, came back. And they and were really, really close. Prue couldn't see her suffer. Yeah. And then Tom tells a story about sitting at his mom's bedside and talking to her, even though he didn't know if she could hear him or not. And if you haven't cried any more, he just says, I don't know what's going to happen to you. It's just a ball fest. Yeah. It's really touching. Tom doesn't talk a lot about his family. No. He mentions his mom every now and then, and it's, it's clear that he has affection for her. And his last episode is really all about his dad. Yeah. So, but, but this is probably the most touching story about his mom that we ever hear. Yep. And it's, again, just really good acting. Yes. For once, the kind of dark setting sort of makes sense. Yep. It's very blue. They're under a spotlight. A blue spotlight. The only thing I can think, yeah. Tom cuts into his toast, and him and Joyce have a good conversation here about... Joyce here is really upset. Yeah, it's sad. This is kind of season one, Joyce. Yeah, it's sad. And they're in their new home. Yeah. And apparently she can actually make toast. Apparently. He's got a full piece of toast. And she says, do you want more toast? And he says, yes, probably because he's excited. Like, hey, toast. It's edible. It's toast. (laughs) And then I think we see them kiss each other on the lips for the first time. It's very sweet. I don't remember them doing that before. These actors have been doing this part for three or four years now. And it's it's really nice. Yeah. She says, we aim to please. They agree that Alice should come and stay with them for the next couple of weeks because she doesn't really need a lot of medical care. What she needs is TLC and somebody to see, to yeah. watch her to make sure she doesn't get sick again. And so she's she's leaving. She gets to go to Tom's house. Yes. And Willie comes back. And right? makes some jokes about he's he, going to go see his daughter. He's going to move to a nursing home nearer to his daughter, and that's good. And his daughter suggested it. Yeah. So obviously so there's new avenues there. Alice is in a good spot. Smithers is in a good spot. But George. George is just sad. Yeah, she watches them go. I hope Alice goes to visit George. I hope so, too. George was nice. She was. And she reminded me of my mom. She's so. a little kooky. She's, but she's nice. Well, she reminded me of my little mom. They have that. Um, Alice and George have a conversation. We've already mentioned about books. Yep. Because Alice is going to leave her a few books, yep. even though I think those books Alice took off the common table in the living room. Yes. And this is where George says, "I don't like all those blue herrings." Right? Yes. So we get the we get the inference from the title. It's playing on words of blue hair and red herrings. Right. Which I realized I didn't know where red herring came from. Where does it come from? I mean, I know the idiom, but yeah. I didn't know what the reference was. Isn't it? I, I have this vague recollection that it's Belgian. 
No. Okay. I'm no. completely wrong. It's a super British saying. It refers to a smoked herring. That's why it's red. Red okay. herring is not like a species of herring or okay. anything. But they open it and smoke it. And so the inside, kind of like salmon, it's like, like a, p- pinky it, it's red. a deep pink red yeah. color. But the reason why it has a connotation is kind of a misleading thing is that if you were training foxhounds, and you didn't have like a dead cat or a dead fox to leave a scent to train them with, Mm -hmm. you would do it with a red herring. Oh. So you would like smoosh it on bushes and drag it along the ground. Oh, okay. And that would, you could use it to train your dogs, but you you could also use it to test them. Yes. Because they shouldn't be distracted by that scent. By the red herring. Right, they should follow it. And boy, did I find, I found a a big old fight about the first use of the term. It's either in uh, the early 1770s or the early 1780s. So it's a a really old term. Yeah. But that's where red herring comes from. Excellent. Now you know. So this is the gentlest, most wonderful episode of Midsummer. Are you all right? And, you know, I... I keep, in my mind, keep comparing it to Blood Will Out, the Traveler episode, because I didn't like that episode, but I like this one, and they share a lot of the same similarities. There's lots of soap opery, red herring stuff in mm-hmm. it, but there's so much more heart in this episode. The characters are much more interesting in this one. And the acting is so much better. Yeah, this that's what happens when you pull together a cast of, of actors who've been doing the job for 50, 60, yep. 70 years, yep. except for Cyril, who took... 50 years off. But does wonders <laughs> with a single line. Yep. I I can only imagine the jokes he made about that. <laughs> I can, like, can you imagine him and Willie just laughing it up the whole time? Yeah. Oh, I completely forgot this. The innkeeper. The landlord? Yes. So Smithers goes to the pub? Yes. He's talking to the landlord? That guy, his, the actor's name is Arthur Cox. Okay. And he is the inspector in... Partners in Crime, the original Tommy and Tuppence series from the 80s. That's right. He's the the friendly Who inspector Marriott. With the bookshelf. Yeah. He helps him hang a bookshelf. That's right. Yeah. I totally forgot. He's in almost every episode of that. That's another one. If you haven't yeah. seen it, it's in video. Both and, and the new then, and the old Tommy and Tuppence is yeah, good. Yeah, they're, they're both good. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so it's a... It's a warm cocoa episode. It, it's blue it, herrings. It's is. like a little candy that you find in a dish in Granny's study. It's like a buttermint. It's a buttermint. It is. <laughs> that uh, doesn't have any pocket lint. Or on a bicky. <laughs> a bicky with some tea. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and we need it before we go to our next episode. Yeah. So our next episode is episode uh, season three, episode three. It's called Judgment Day. What it really should be called is Batshit Crazy Day. Yes. <laughs> it is, in my opinion, probably the best cold opening of the entire show. I don't go watch the episode. If you haven't seen it, it's so good. If you have seen it, as soon as it starts, you'll be like, oh my God, I love this one. I know what's going to happen. <laughs> so in the, in the meantime, we love all the comments we oh, get. Every thank episode. Thank you so much. We keep... Like hitting these milestones of downloads that I am completely amazed by. I, the fact that we have hundreds of people listening to us is touching. What I'm me. most happy about is how many people tell us that they've never listened to a podcast before. Yep. But this, but hearing about this one made them want to listen to podcasts. There's three big ones for me. One, I've never listened to a podcast before, which is just amazing. Two, 
I felt like I was the only one who thought this. Yeah. That's the second one. I was the only one who liked Midsummer. And the third one is a new contender. Because we release on Mondays, we get these, you've just made my Monday so much better. Yeah. I'm like, well, you've just made my entire life so much better. Aren't you the sweetest? (laughs) It's great. It makes me curious. I'd love to know what you're doing when you're listening to the podcast. Absolutely. I, Tell us what you do when you listen to the podcast. I The last time I fired up Stitcher today, um, I noticed that my total listening was over 2,300 hours. I, I, and I have well over 500 audiobooks in my Audible library. I listen to a lot of stuff. And I can tell you, I listen doing all kinds of things around the house. So, so I'd love to know what you guys are doing when you're listening. Are you commuting? Are you doing the dishes? Or and folding the, the laundry? What do you do? Another thing I'd like to know, and I think we should ask you guys this, is... I'm wondering if I should do like a little video about how to listen to podcasts because our readers, like the people on the Midsummer Murders Facebook group and the Acorn group, who have all been awesome, and the moderators of those groups are fantastic people. They've been fantastic for us. Do we need to do a little primer for some people about how to listen to a podcast? Because they might not know and they might not say that, that they don't know. Yeah. You know, and, and I could certainly that's recommend. A good idea? could certainly recommend things that if you like Midsummer, there are podcasts that you will really, really love. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I'm thinking of doing that also because I think, you know, there's a lot of people who don't know. Like we're, we're like, oh, just go to Stitcher, go to iTunes. But for some people who are maybe older, that might be a new and different thing. Except for that one um, podcast hosting service that our Echo hates. Yeah. So there's this thing. <laughs> in our house it's called an echo <laughs> so, it's mark's nemesis <laughs> i had a 20 minute argument with the echo the other day because i want the echo to play our podcast <laughs> he just wants to check to make sure that it's streaming on all the services so it uses it a service called TuneIn. Okay. by default that's what it uses so i went to tune in i filled out all the information for our podcast and if you go to tune in the app or the web page it's there and put in midsummer maniacs it's there Okay, so I asked Echo to play Midsummer Maniacs from TuneIn. No idea what I'm talking about. She says, what? Huh? So I think maybe because of the weird spelling of Midsummer, it's Midsummer. So I, I purposely mispronounce it. Still has no idea what I'm talking it's about. It's rather lovely to hear him fighting with so our Echo. So then I did this. I, I, I took my phone and I played the podcast from Spotify and cast it onto the the echo as the a echo. speaker. And I asked the echo, what are you playing? <laughs> and the echo said <laughs> that I'm playing the Midsummer Maniacs podcast. <laughs> and I said, play the Midsummer Maniacs podcast from Spotify. And it said, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's just you. It hates you. It hates me. <laughs> and then I, I was in the other room and I heard him swearing at the echo. <laughs> But it was interesting to see uh, the because the echo started playing the first episode, so it read out the entire entire the entire, entire title, title, including bonking. So yeah, I made the echo say bonking. <laughs> That's a little bit of revenge, anyway. Thank you, as always, for listening. It's so much fun to know that there are people out there who are listening who enjoy Midsummer like we do. Absolutely. And who are laughing along. We love to hear your comments, your thoughts. What do you do while you're listening? Are there segments that that you'd like 
us to focus on? Do you want to know more about certain actors? Do you want to know more about sets? Do you want to know more about the writers or anything else? All feedback is welcome. I'm glad you think we're funny because our children certainly don't. We think we're funny. We crack each other up. We we crack each other up. So we are Midsummer Maniacs on Twitter, at Midsummer Maniacs, and at Midsummer Maniacs on Instagram. We're on the Facebook group for Acorn TV Midsummer Maniacs official and now the Brit Fox official Facebook. Midsummer Murders official. Yeah, Midsummer Murders yeah. official. Who have all been so great to us. They've been super nice to us and said super nice things. And we also uh, are on like every service, including TuneIn. Even though Echo doesn't. <laughs> Even though believe Echo. It. Can, can you try to get your smart speaker to play our podcast? <laughs> Let us know if it works for People you. People send recordings of, of them. Play of the smart speaker playing our podcast. Just to rub it in. Just to rub it in. Um, and prepare yourself because next time. Oh, Judgment Day judgment is coming. Judgment Day is man. coming. We love you guys. Thanks, Maniacs. Thanks, Maniacs. Bye, Maniacs. According to how it is spelled, it is Aspern, A-S-P-E-R-N. But we don't know if that R's soft or not. No, it's not Aspern tallow. That's a whole different thing with the doctor. You got a headache? Take some Aspern tallow. <laughs> oh, he doesn't have a headache. He's got a different kind of ache. <laughs> yeah. You don't know everything.